Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Rohan Nakarni, joined today by my good friend, Sports Illustrated senior writer, New York Times best-selling author of the book, Blood in the Garden. It's Chris Herring. Chris, how's it going, buddy? Ah, uh, you know, you know. How are you? <laughs> I heard it finally started snowing in New York. I'm looking at it out my window. Let me see if I could, at least for you, show you the the snow on my Ooh, deck nope, here. Nope, that's gonna be a yeah. no for. That's a no for row baby. It's been um like under sixty degrees and raining in Los Angeles. For Y'all have blizzard warnings now. more than we do. And I'm not gonna lie, I I. I'm so unaccustomed to it now. I absolutely despise it. Chris, you know, to let viewers in on a little secret, you and I like to have a little catch-up conversation before every show, but I, I hid something from you. I didn't tell you about this because I wanted to get your reaction on the podcast, but we got an email from our good friend, Daryl Swenson, after our oh, last boy. podcast. But oh, boy. no, no, <laughs> Daryl said he says, quote, I'm letting you guys off the hook for spending a little too much time on the All-Star game. As Chris said, <laughs> you were talking about basketball. I'm not a complete <laughs> ogre. Um, he shout, says, out to shout out to Daryl, man. He said, great show as always. I really enjoy your podcast. He sent us a photo in the email, and it's great to put a face to the name. So, Chris, I'll this. make sure uh, to send it to you. Shout out to our guy, Daryl, who uh, we have some fun with <laughs> on the show. Um Chris, there are a bunch of things uh, I want to get to on the show today. You had a Q&A with Mike Brown on the newsletter, your newsletter, The Playmaker. We're going to talk some Kings. We have a new coaching hire in the NBA, Quinn Snyder, going to the Atlanta Hawks. Thought that was an interesting move. I think we'll touch on that. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks continue to run through the NBA. 14 straight wins now, and I think notably last night after a Boston loss in New York, the Bucks actually moving into first place in the East, which is pretty surprising given how the season started. But I want to talk or start first with LeBron James. We don't need to dwell on this too much, but it is some pretty big news. He goes down with the ankle injury against the Dallas Mavericks on Sunday. The Lakers come back to win that game. Um, The report 
after that LeBron suffered a significant injury in his foot, uh, expected to be reassessed in a couple weeks. I believe that's the new reporting as of this morning. The Lakers will take a look at him again in a couple weeks. Chris, th- this kind of ends the Lakers' playoff hopes, right? No, I, w- I won't say ends. I think it uh, it, it definitely hurts quite a bit if you're the Lakers. You had to be feeling pretty good about the fact that with LeBron in the lineup, you'd been 3-0 and with this new group of guys, this new cast of guys, um, of sidekicks, if you'd call it. They just look different. They, they, you know, they were more versatile. They're a more complete team. Um, it's not as easy to just help off of, um, you know, someone like Westbrook because now you replace him with D'Angelo Russell who can shoot. Uh, they had some hustle to this team and, the, you know, and Jared Vanderbilt. Even Mobamba, who, you know, I think maybe has some weaknesses here and there, is a, a floor spacer and gives them a different look than what they had, kind of like a, a diet version of Miles Turner in, in that sense, mm. uh, who they've been chasing. The team made more sense on paper, and it was actually playing out well on the court. Uh, so to lose Braun now, it, 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 it really hurts this team, and I can't help but, one, and I've, I've got a story that should be up soon, drawing comparisons between that 2018-19 season when LeBron first got to L.A., and the whole time, that was the season they'd been trying to trade their youngsters, Lonzo, Ingram, Josh Hart, uh, essentially trade them for Anthony Davis. And we all kept wondering, like, when are you going to do this? When are you going to offer more? Why don't you get mm-hmm. something done? Because, frankly, at that time and certainly now, LeBron was getting older and he ran the risk of kind of taking his greatness for granted. Um and not building enough of a cushion in the standings to withstand a LeBron injury. Uh, this season, I think it was even kind of more unforgivable because you have Davis on this roster now. Um, Davis is injury prone as well. Already went through a stretch where he missed 20 games in a row. LeBron had already missed some time. Uh, and now you've worked yourself into a spot where maybe you could make it. They still can because their schedule's weak. But I think the problem here is that other teams that they're competing with for this last spot or two also have weak schedules. New Orleans does. Um, can't remember offhand who else does. Maybe it was Portland or somebody else has mm-hmm. a, a kind of weak schedule. So it's, it's you know, Davis with this new cast of guys, I think we have to at least be open-minded enough to the fact that AD was playing MVP-level basketball when he was mm-hmm. healthy. Can he do that without LeBron there? We'll see. Uh, if he can or if he can approximate some of that with this new group, I think it's possible that they make it. I think 538, even factoring LeBron's absence, in has them at a 50% chance of making the playoffs. So I think it's doable. I just think it, it's more of an uphill battle now. And it could have been avoided if you'd made deals earlier in the season when we all knew this was a problem before the season, quite frankly, mm-hmm. in, in terms of the rust fit and everything. Yeah, you mentioned AD. He had that five, six-game stretch earlier in the year when LeBron was out and he kind of carried the team to some big wins. He was having big scoring nights. I will say I was a skeptic about the trade they made in terms of how much it actually moved the needle for them, I think the early returns have been better than I expected, and that's largely due to, frankly, Vanderbilt. You know, D'Angelo Russell's been hurt. His ankle injury doesn't look as serious as LeBron's. He could be back sooner, but you're right. They've been playing with more energy. They look a little bit better. It's going to be interesting, though. Golden State's seventh in the conference. They're getting Curry back. Utah... Looks at the trade deadline, maybe they were going to fall out, but they've won two in a row. Minnesota, theoretically, is going to get Carl Towns back at some point. They've lost three in a row, but 
if they get Towns back, who knows? I mean, you could argue they've been better without Towns this year. Uh, the Pelicans have now lost four in a row, I believe. Yeah, four in a row for the Pelicans, but generally they they kind of been a little bit better when Banding was on the floor this year. Portland, Dame is on a heater. On one hand, like the Lakers are twelfth in the conference, so that's a long way to go just to even get a safe spot in the play. And on the other hand, they're three games out of the fifth seed, uh, two games behind the Clippers in the loss column. So I know I was the one who posed the question: <laughs> the playoff hopes are done, but I'm kind of talking myself back into it right. just <laughs> as we speak here. That it's not impossible, but it's a major blow. And I think, as you said, the big thing is here they're counting on LeBron to not show his age every year. And outside of the bubble season, before that, to LeBron's credit, before they got to the bubble, he'd been really healthy that year and playing great. But we've now seen the majority of his time in LA, or at least once a season, I should say, at the very least, he's been dealing with injuries um, that are are really zapping him. And it, it goes to show why, was this trade too little too late? Did they, you know, I was texting our old friend of the pod slash trader slash enemy, Michael Pina about this, you know, Pina was telling me, you know, convinced they kind of wasted the first round pick in this move just because of, you know, they were already so far down the standings, but it's just, uh, it's a bummer for the Lakers. They were, they were starting to look interesting before we get into all the other stuff. I just wanted to ask because we coming out of the all-star break last week on the pod. I think we were talking about how just depressing that whole weekend was, but then we come back with a incredible weekend of hoops. Yeah. So many good games, man. Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but I, you know, I, I saw you tweeting about it. Um, what are you just some of your highlights from the last weekend for you personally? Uh I mean, it would have been hard not to have really loved that Kings Clippers game. Mm. I thought, you know, 176 to 175. And I'm I'm like a staunch. I just got done writing the book about the 90s Knicks where games yeah. were 75 to 73. Yeah. I grew up on Eastern Conference basketball, yeah. Right. So yeah. the West Coast stuff has always been a little different. But, I mean, it's it, it's fun to watch. It was actually just a game of really crazy shot making. Mm-hmm. I would say a little bit more so than just terrible defense. You had good defenders on – well, certainly on the Clippers. And then, you know, on the other side of it, you've got a couple guys on the Kings that really get after it too. Um, so that was the one that stood out, but you know, the Lakers come back, they were talking about against the Mavs. Um, you know, there's just a, a, a number of good games, even, you know, on the college basketball side, uh, Caitlin Clark had a game winner. It was just a fun basketball weekend. The games were competitive and, and frankly, you know, I'm probably not the first one to make this point. Uh, as we talk about people talk out of both sides of their mouth, being frustrated by load management. But then on the flip side of it, like this weekend's games were maybe the best we've seen all year. Mm -hmm. And it came after a long layoff for most players. (laughs) And so like Dame scored 71 after sitting out that Kings game. Right. Uh, So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pro give these guys more time. Uh, I remember even the, you know, the the all-star break used to be shorter too, uh, Mm -hmm. where guys were back right essentially on, you know, uh, you know, a day or two after the games were over, maybe two days after, two, three days after the games were over. So the idea of giving them more time is a plus. And, uh, I, you know, I count me in for wanting the season to be shorter as far as fewer games are concerned or fewer games in the same amount of time, just because I think the quality of the games is better. And you likely would see guys playing in a higher percentage of the games if you did that. 
Uh, can we talk about Cody Zeller jumping <laughs> up the MVP ladder after his block on Joel Embiid last night? Man, man. <laughs> um, I was sending some uh, shout out to my homie Cadrice, uh, a huge Philadelphia sports fan, but I was sending him some spicy texts during that game. That was a fun one between the Heat and Sixers on Monday night. Jimmy Butler hit. Probably the best shot of his regular season career, that Insane. up and under layup. Um, yeah, that was just a lot of fun, and it's fun seeing Jimmy compete against PJ and Embiid. I know he really relishes those games, those matchups. That was really fun. I just want to talk about Joker real quick. A 40-point triple-double masterpiece against the Clippers in an overtime win on Sunday night. It just, and I I guess, like, I, again, I've said this before, maybe bear some responsibility, and I think there are fans of his that just argue his MVP case in a way that is condescending and annoying, but it bothers me that people cannot enjoy this man for what he does on a basketball floor because of how stupid the MVP conversation is. He was so good in that Clippers game. And watching him trade buckets with Kawhi, and I thought the Clippers, it was so interesting watching them. They put Paul George on Jamal Murray and Kawhi on Joker down the stretch. They could switch the Jamal Joker pick and roll, but it just did not matter who they had on Jokic, whether it was Plumlee, whether it was Kawhi, whether it was Paul George. Just dominant, blowing by everyone, his post footwork, his touch, he hit a fadeaway over Plumley down the stretch in the fourth where he kind of turned over the wrong foot. And it was the cleanest swish I've ever seen in my life. It was the net barely moved. I, I was like, did that go in? Um, God dang, he is good, man. Like He is so fun to watch. You know what I found most interesting about it? And, you know, people get annoyed with, you know, the analytics of all this stuff. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I've tried to tone some of that down a little bit more just in, when I'm talking about his case, because I think it does get bogged down in that. But mm -hmm. maybe something that is analogous to that, but a little bit further removed from it at the same time that people can see tangibly is like the fantasy stuff. A lot of these guys play, a lot of these people play fantasy basketball, uh -huh. fantasy sports, fantasy football. I thought it was interesting because I was writing something about Lillard's 71-point game late Sunday mm -hmm. night, early Monday morning. And when I went on NBA.com's stats page, uh, as you might expect, Damian Lillard had the most fantasy points from Sunday night. I think he had like mm -hmm. 85 fantasy points. And keep in mind, that's after a 71-point game where I think he also had six assists and six rebounds. Mm -hmm. Nikola Jokic had like 83 fantasy points. And granted, he had a 40-point triple-double but he's averaging close to a 30-point triple-double for this season. So, like, on some level, if he has a night that is close to what Damian Lillard did in a 71-point game, and this wasn't so far off from what Jokic normally does, that should tell you. And he's on a first-place team. Yeah. I think that just says a lot, right? It, it's just, like, I understand that some people don't understand it, uh, but I, I, I just think, and, and JJ Reddick put it really well mm -hmm. a day or two ago on his podcast of Jokic, like at a certain point, if you really don't get it, 
with him, you're just not trying to, or you're not going to. Yeah. Because he's, I mean, like if you watch him play in these clutch moments, if you watched him play in that golden state series, if you've watched the way he impacts everything and, and to JJ's point, if you watch the way that virtually everybody on that Denver roster is having a career year, then it kind of speaks for itself that he yeah. lifts the play of everybody around him. I think arguably more than anybody else in the game. I think you could argue that Steph does that to, to a large extent yeah. too. Steph has been out of the lineup. Like it's really not, I just don't think there are that many people uh, in contention with him for this award right now. It doesn't mean it can't change, but it's a hard case to make when he's in first place. He's averaging fewer points, but is doing even more all around stuff and is lifting the play of everybody else uh, and is more efficient than he's ever been, which is basically the most efficient player in the league. Yeah. So it's 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 really not that hard of an argument for right now, but maybe we'll see. Maybe somebody makes yeah. it more difficult. And I know that people are going to point to what Embiid did against Jokic. Fine. It, it, it's one game, uh, just like, you know, mm-hmm. any other one game. Like, it's not a head-to-head yeah, it's, it's matchup. Silly, yes. Certainly over. I could actually see that more if it was, like, football and you've got 16 games, 17 games. Right. There's 82 of them. And by the way, Jokic plays more than Embiid. Yeah. So, you, like, if you're going to count one game that importantly, do you want to articulate the flip side of that, which is that Jokic plays more? Yeah. So it's it's you know we'll see what happens, but it's it's starting to feel to me a little bit like the first year where it was just like he's kind of by himself by the time everything is said and done. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that it's going to be him. Um, I didn't mean to turn this into an MVP discussion. I just wanted to throw out a couple Jokic stats though. He has more 40-point triple-doubles this year than games shooting under 50%. He has three 40-point triple-doubles. He shot under 50% once all season, and it happened in October, the first month of the year. Um, He entered that Clippers game shooting 67% on two-pointers. He raised his average in that game. He's just... It's just so funny, and it's been a little funny to me watching different people move the goalposts to fit their agenda where no one's even arguing whether Jokic is deserving of the MVP. They argue whether he's deserving of winning three in a row, which is a different conversation. It's like their argument is nothing based on what's happening this season. It's, well, he's already won two, and we we historically don't give out three in a row. And I'm like, it's not my fault they didn't have league pass in 1988. You know what I mean? Um, And then I also got a kick out of Daryl Morey, who I mean, I don't I, I have no issues with this, and I think Maury's been kind of hilarious in the way he's tried to manipulate the media conversation this year in many directions. But him saying that Embiid's MVP case, you know, it has to include his defense when he used to campaign for James Harden winning MVPs with the Rockets, and it's like very convenient how defense never came <laughs> up there. Um, it's just uh. Yeah, man, it's funny. And I think Jokic rightfully is going to run away with this award. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you coming? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Let's hop around a little bit, Chris. I want to talk about a team that, you know, we put in the conversation with Boston the last time we we had this, we did this podcast. They've won, like I said, 14 in a row now. The Milwaukee Bucks, they have the best home record in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they're now in first place, uh, percentage-wise, in the East. Boston still has the best point differential in the NBA. They've kind of held steady there all year long in terms of efficiency. Their offense can still get to a level that I think Milwaukee, even at their best, doesn't really come close. But something I'll say about the Bucs, I mean, they've done this largely with Chris Middleton coming off the bench. Like, Chris Middleton's not playing his full complement of minutes yet. They just got Bobby Portis back. They're working in Jay Crowder. is Milwaukee the East favorite in your eyes? Is it Boston? I know I know. last week I made you say who's going to make the finals, but where's kind of your confidence lie right now between Milwaukee and Boston? I, I don't fully know. I mean, Milwaukee was my pick before the season started, mm-hmm. and I don't see reason to come off them, certainly, you know, with the 14-game win streak. Um I will say though that I think you know it's it's interesting. I've realized in the last week how many Celtics fans I must follow because it's like you the know Boston media mafia is everywhere. The the sky is falling lately. You know they they didn't <laughs> like the way that they looked in the the game against the Knicks last night, which was just a frustrating night for Boston. Embarrassing. Tatum should be suspended for the postseason the way he disrespected the game. <laughs> Tatum Tatum had a pretty great tweet yesterday yeah, about the about the idea that like you know maybe these are the basketball guys coming back to punish him for not calling the foul on him against yeah. LeBron when LeBron went crazy over not getting a foul call and fell to the floor really dramatically but I mean you're gonna have games like that I think you know one of the the stories that isn't really being talked about enough nationwide I think is that the Knicks are better than people were expecting I Mm -hmm, I think that they're mm -hmm. first of all like a very legitimate team and I wrote this uh, in a column several weeks back in the newsletter that I think that Mitchell Robinson is one of the most impactful players in the league this year and Mm. he's back and he's healthy and you throw him in there with also Josh Hart uh, being a perfect fit. Josh Hart has been so good six in a row for the Knicks nine and two in February they so I, I always put them low. I always put Tibbs teams low generally in the entertainment value rankings. The fact that they have an offense that this this fun to watch, man, the Knicks are fun. The Knicks are and good. They and are good. And, 
it, that's the thing. I think it's it, I think it's actually beyond just fun. Like I think when you're at 500, you can be fun. Mm-hmm. When you're nine or ten games over 500, which I think they're a game away from being ten games over 500, mm-hmm. a win away. Yep. Uh, and you see the makings of what they've got. They've got a really athletic group between. Mitchell, we just talked about Josh Hart and what he does in transition, the sorts of, you know, he can play up a position defensively, maybe even two. Um, Quentin Grimes is getting more time. And not to mention that by having Josh Hart and Grimes, that if one of those two, or we'll add in a third guy, RJ Barrett, who's not played very well lately, but is, you know, in spurts, he can look good. In spurts, he can look really bad. It gives Thibodeau a a guy that is known for being, staunch in what he thinks and what he believes and who he believes in it gives him more versatility and optionality in terms of who he wants to play if someone's not getting the job done and uh so i mean that part of it too it's it's a pretty big team once you get outside of brunson we haven't even mentioned randall who's been one of the best rebounders in the league who's been better shooting it who's made better decisions generally speaking uh it's a team that has some real talent and uh they like, could make the second round for sure and they would give i think a very good series to that team in the second round like are they gonna be are we at a point now where they might even be favored if they get cleveland a team that mm. hasn't been in the playoffs before uh at least this iteration of cleveland obviously uh a young cleveland team uh i don't know that the knicks will get to four but it, I think, did they flip spots with Brooklyn percentage-wise yep, last of Brooklyn, night? They're ahead of Brooklyn, half game ahead of Brooklyn. So, I mean, it, it, I'll put it this way. It would be an interesting series to see Cleveland, a team that has so much defense and, you know, has been a, a net ratings leader for, you know, really the better part of the last two years, going back to most of last season, even when they missed the play-in. Or That'd not be missed it. the play-in, but they missed the playoffs. It'd be a really interesting matchup, yeah. I think. And I think it's the matchup. one that... Hell of a matchup. It's probably the one you want if you're the Knicks, uh, you know, between uh, obviously the Bucks and the, the Celtics, um, you know, I, I think I would prefer if I'm the Knicks to, to have to play against Cleveland in that spot. But it, it, it'll it be interesting. Maybe, you know, Philly is another team that I think, you know, the Knicks can beat them. They have before. But I think if you're looking at teams above you, uh, that four or five matchup, if you're the Knicks and having to start that matchup out mm-hmm. on the road, I think Cleveland, the team with no playoff experience, is the team you'd want yeah. to target. Um, yeah, I, you're right. We don't talk. We have not talked about the Knicks enough on the pod this year, and I, they've been getting hot. And as as much as I get like frustrated with the cliche sometimes, it is fun when the Garden is really into it, it and is. the team is good. Um. I didn't answer your question fully. I'm realizing, and <laughs> no, then my I'm like rant about the Knicks <laughs> yeah, and how they're not. not getting enough attention. The yeah. the Celtics don't have Jalen Brown back, and I mean, I think mm. they just look different when he's not right. there. Uh, you know, I, I I think that they'll be fine ultimately. Maybe mm-hmm. not, but Tatum didn't look particularly great yesterday. He had several calls that he probably should have gotten. That whether they change the complexion of that game or not. He's frustrated when they're not winning. They're going to be frustrated because mm-hmm. they've been the best team in the league all year. So, you know, let let's worry more about the Celtics if and when Jalen Brown still isn't back or they still don't look right once he is back. Uh, you know, t- from where I sit, yeah, I think the Bucks probably deserve the edge now because they're winning every game. Chris they Middleton also, 
isn't even playing all the minutes he could and he looks good off the bench and Giannis, you know, is Giannis. And so they look great right now. They also all of a sudden have a very deep team. I mean, so, so they could go like, for example, let's say they want to play big. This is a lineup that's been at times looked fantastic for them at times been terrible, but they could go their big three Giannis, Drew Middleton, and then play Portis and Lopez, or they can go small with Ingles and Crowder. Then they have Pat Connaughton, who's just been great for them the last couple of years. You know, Grayson Allen was exposed in that Boston series, but generally has been a fantastic catch and shoot three point guy for them. They have Javon Carter, who I think is really good. Like would be in a playoff rotation for many teams around the league. Like I look around up and down the East, for example, like how many teams in the East would be thrilled to have Javon Carter as kind of a three and D guard. Um, then they have Wes Matthews just kind of waiting in the wings. He's been hurt lately. Like Wes Matthews was giving Jason Tatum all he could handle in, in some games in that second round series last year. I know Tatum had some big nights too, but mm-hmm. think about those big turnover games, inefficient games. Like, yeah, Wes Matthews can come in and, and you know give you some minutes defensively at the very least. And I think all of a sudden I look at the team and I'm like, this is probably the deepest team Giannis has ever had. I mean, it's it, it's not a stretch by any means to say that they should be favored, that they would be favored again. And obviously the rosters have changed a little bit um, for each side. You just talked about the depth that Milwaukee now has. Um, Boston went out and got Malcolm Brogdon. Um, but <laughs> Milwaukee took them to seven without Middleton there. Yeah. Like it, it's it's not controversial to say that they should be viewed as the favorite if they're healthy, certainly healthier than they were last year. Um, and that maybe guys have settled into certain roles a little bit more. Uh, Brooke Lopez has had his footing under him a little bit more than he did last year, you know, having come back from the injury. So, it, you know, again, that was my favorite before the season. Them being on a 14-game win streak, I feel like it shouldn't be controversial to say that they should probably be favored right now. But I also imagine that Boston will get their bearings back when they're closer to full strength with with uh, Jason with Jalen Brown. I'm sorry. I just I don't know. I am dying to see the Bucks Celtics series at full strength, man. Like, Me if too. We don't, if I was we last don't, year. Yeah, it, it's gonna be an absolute war. I, I I'm gonna be so upset. I I I know every year. I feel like every year I get on here and I'm like I have to see this playoff series. But I genuinely don't know of a potential series that would be more upset to miss than a rematch of those two teams mm. um, just in recent history. I mean, I really wanted to see, like, Suns-Warriors last year, but that that doesn't even – because there's the, the rematch element, the conference rival element. Um, Giannis and Tatum, I think, both in smack dab of their primes. I mean, Tatum probably still has some time to get there, but – Man, oh man, the idea of them going at it at full strength. The Bucks just have so many more guys all of a sudden to throw at wings. And that was kind of a big issue for me, I felt like, last year. I was like, outside of Wes, and I think Connaughton does a good job, but, you know, Grace Allen started their playoff games. I, I didn't know why. And it just felt like they had no depth on the wing. And now all of a sudden it's like, I know that the Crowder conversation is like a roller coaster and – like a pendulum, however you want to describe it, but I, I want him and I don't, I'm not scared of him on the floor in a playoff series. You know what I mean? And now all of a sudden it's like, yeah, like they have so many options. Like 
Dude, the idea that they could play, I'm sorry, I'm just I'm like now just like writing fan fiction, but the <laughs> idea that it's like, okay, the Celtics are going to put white, smart, brown, and Tatum on the floor, but the Bucks are going to come back with Giannis, Middleton, Drew, and Crowder. Like, bro, that is a insane series on the perimeter. Like, that's, oh my God, like, it's hard not to get so excited about that. Yeah, they, 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 there's no driver's seat yet, but I just feel like if you're Milwaukee, given the injuries you've had to deal with, um, and just the fact that Middleton is a guy that, you know, frankly, they lean on to help them close out games, which was a big part of that series last year against Boston, why it didn't work out. Um, Giannis being an MVP candidate in the midst of him being out for that much time. And even when he was playing for the first portion of the season was not good. Um, you've got to feel, and you know, Portis being out, uh, you've got to feel really good that you're in first place with all that having happened. Um, without Giannis shooting the three ball well, with Giannis shooting, I think, a career low in free throw percentage, um, with the offense being one of the worst in the league for the better portion of that time, you're in first place. So again it's just one of those things where it's like over the course of a game, if you're shooting 8% from three and you're within a couple of points, you feel good at halftime. Uh, This is one of those examples where like they're in first place right after the all-star break, barely having been at full strength. And uh, you know, granted Boston can now say, well, look, we're not at full strength either. We've had our injuries too, to smart, to, you know, Jalen Brown at this point to uh, Rob Williams. I get it, but I just kind of feel like the trajectory of it. Again, it's hard to say that the outlook is better for you than it is for the team with the 14 game win streak that's just now getting healthy. So we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. But it's it's obviously there's the West and everybody in the West, and I feel like there's these two teams in the East, and you can throw in Philly and mm-hmm. Cleveland, you know, because they're there. But I won't I throw think, in Philly. I mean, I I I just, <laughs> I just think that these <laughs> not after these Cody Seller. Not after Cody Zeller blocked. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, but it, I think there's a feeling that these two teams, mm-hmm. if they're healthy going into the playoffs, that these are the two teams that are going to yeah. be the ones that everybody's kind of looking out for in the East. Um, I want to talk about the Kings for a tiny bit. You did a QA with Mike Brown that I mentioned earlier that's in your newsletter. And there, I loved um, your willingness to put the data in front of him. Like you, you just, I, I think I mentioned this on the pod. I don't remember if I did, but when I went to Utah, I was like, how do I tell Will Hardy that I thought the team was going to suck? And so <laughs> I'm, uh, we're, I'm in Will Hardy's office. I'm in Will Hardy's office. And I'm like, you know, expectations before the season were all over the place. And he's like, no, they weren't. <laughs> he's like, he's like, <laughs> shout he's, out Will Hardy. Shout out to Will Hardy. Will Hardy was like, everyone just thought we were going to be bad. Right. I was like, you're right. I was like, I was trying to put it the polite way. And you're talking to Mike Brown, and you're like, you guys sure do give up a lot of points in the paint. <laughs> it's just like, I, I mean, like, it's the truth, it's a man. Fact. It's a fact. No, no, no. It's the truth. It's the truth. Um, but there's one. I, I want to ask you just your your general thoughts on Mike Brown, who I think obviously he had that portion of his career he was coaching LeBron. He was with the Cavs. Um, we I forget think, that he was with the Lakers too yeah, for a full year. Right, you know? Yeah. Um, God, what a mess that was. But yeah. 
what's interesting is you compare him now he's so he seems so much more loose he seems like he's really enjoying himself like we're seeing i think a side of his personality we never really saw before even though he was in higher profile jobs and maybe that was a part of it he didn't have kind of the same freedom to just like he seems like he's having fun uh and you don't normally see that from coaches so i want to let, let me start there actually what, what do you just kind of make of his vibe his energy uh you know what did you just pick up in, from that aspect in terms of interviewing him well even before i got a chance to talk with them just me and him uh i had gone to a king's game uh actually i was going for a bucks game in milwaukee mm-hmm. but while i was there um uh, uh, you know, obviously they were playing against the Kings. And so mm. I went to Mike Brown's press conference and I already, already thought the Kings were the most fun team to watch in the league. And then I get to his press conference. I've, I've been to a handful of his press conferences over the years, but not many. And in going to that one, someone asked the question of, well, Mike, you and Mike Budenholzer both mm-hmm. were assistants <laughs> under Greg Popovich. <laughs> what was Mike like? What do you remember about him? He's like, we were both, you know, doing video stuff at the time. We were both low level assistants. And he's like, hell, I remember we were both broke, you know, and we were both, you know, using more or less the vouchers that we got from the team to go get dinner at one of the team sponsors. And, you know, one of the sponsors was Dick's last resort, the (laughs) restaurant. And so, you know, either Mike or myself would get the vouchers and then we would, you know, whichever one of us finished our responsibilities first after the game would run over to Dick's last resort and start eating and then we'd be like, yo, don't leave Dick's Last Resort till I get there so I can get my free food as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it turned into that. And we did that like essentially every night after home games. And then, you know, come to find out that Mike found this one waitress attractive at Dick's Last Resort. It became like his first wife, uh, <laughs> you know. So it was just such a funny story. And there's something about Mike Brown, like when you look at him, that he just seems so buttoned up. And I think at points in his career, he has been to what you're saying, but I just feel like he's loosened. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I asked him that question of uh, what's changed most for you, like over the course of your coaching career. And while he didn't say that, that he feels like he's loosened up, he did coach under Steve Kerr. Yeah. Who, you know, I I think, and then essentially what he said is that messaging is what he's learned as being so important and the idea of uh, it's not what you say as much as how you say it and how you balance out what you say and making sure that there's enough like positive reinforcement built in that you can get on guys, but you have to kind of pepper it with some positive reinforcement too. And just even what he's jotting down of, of what Steve Kerr has said in golden state that he tried to bring a lot of that with him. And that's something that a lot of coaches, I, you know, again, did that nineties Knicks book, and there were so many assistants I talked to that worked under Pat Riley that just said they wished that they had uh, that they had taken notes on the stuff that Pat said because his messaging was what set him apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I thought that was interesting. Uh, I, I think that he's leaned into just letting his team play how they play offensively. That you know a lot of the best coaches get out of the way to some extent. With okay, this is working better than he expected offensively. Uh, it's really not working defensively at all. They're, you know, a bottom five or six defense, just like they were a year ago. But I think to his point, he he's like, okay, if I can tweak some things to make us a little bit better on defense and still just maintain what we're doing on offense, he can live with that with the understanding that they're really going to get after it and work at it defensively. But, I, you know, to your point 
of putting some of the numbers in front of him, I thought it was important to lay out that even with a bad defense, there's things that he has them doing that stop them from being like the worst defense, which the stuff on the margins like that is really important. And I think, um, you know, makes a difference between being a three seed and maybe being a play-in team for a club like this has won so many close games. It has a guy like Fox that has been essentially the best clutch performer in the league that's helped him out. Yeah, that that answer that you Tony you talked about messaging that stood out to me because he was like messaging is is kind of the way you say it is almost as important as what you're saying. He's like messaging is as important as what you're specifically telling a player to do. It's such mm-hmm. an underrated part of coaching. And again, you know, we all fall victim to it. I've done it. You're watching a game, and it's so easy to scrutinize an individual coaching decision within a basketball game. But there's so much that goes into the job. You know, I just remember Dion Waiters telling me going to dinner with Eric Spolstra. And that's something that you'll never, ever think about um, during a basketball game in terms of how that could affect a player's performance. But the relationship you build with your players, how you motivate them, how you get them to buy in, how you can get them to elevate their focus, all these things are so important. And I thought that was a very interesting answer that Mike Brown had about messaging. Because you think about Steve Kerr, it's not like people necessarily think of him as this great tactical genius. And you know, I think he's a great coach. I think what Kerr does so well is, I mean, it helps obviously that he has Steph Curry, but he's able to keep things in perspective. He's able to keep the team focused, keep the team driven after the number of playoff battles and wars they've been in. Again, it helps that he has very intrinsically motivated guys, but that's such a big part of the job. Um, it's very interesting. You also mentioned how Mike Brown's able to tweak their defense. You asked him because you asked him, you guys go to zone. Um, you're 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 better in zone, basically. And you see it with a lot of teams now. Like the Heat still run by far the most zone in the league, but I think yeah. other teams started to adopt it. And on a points per possession basis, there are some teams like the Kings, for example, that are way better in zone. And yet it's not something that they go to. It's like, you'll never see a team play zone as their base defense. I just thought mm-hmm. it was really interesting. You know, his answer about it, about how he doesn't want to give up too many offensive rebounds. He's trying to disrupt rhythm. That cost benefit analysis that coaches have to make. It's, it's kind of an interesting wrinkle in the game these days. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I think to his point, essentially what he said is that, um, yes, they're, they're basically the best team in the league at limiting scores when Mm -hmm. they go zone that said they go zone like one one and a half percent of the time it's very very Mm -hmm. small like like most teams aside from miami portland what have you um so i asked him would there be an openness to go toward that more and he said well i don't think so one we only go zone when we're really really struggling even more than we normally do defensively to get stops um when we're in man two i just think it's the cost benefit of it is not worth it when you consider that we're a team that occasionally just doesn't box out at all. And Mm -hmm. the responsibility of boxing out becomes too vast, too great. Um, If we're defending areas instead of people, you don't know. These guys are still new to really defending at the level that I'm asking them to. And if they're not even defending an individual person at any given moment, they're defending this area. How do they know who to box out? Do they know who to box out? Will that make our, box outs better and i think his answer was basically no so um you know it's interesting from that standpoint i also thought it was very interesting to hear him essentially say out loud uh 
you know, we don't have we, – we've got guys that can defend, but they're not really ideal defenders just based on their length, their height, their their defensive athleticism. Uh, he pointed out Fox is a guy that he thinks has that potential, and I think it's why he kind of has leaned on him more heavily. He's also the star of the team, and so you kind of – like Greg Popovich did with Tim Duncan, you want to put more responsibility on his shoulders. You want to coach him harder with the thought that everybody else will respond to that and, and see that – Oh, well, if De'Aaron's falling in line, then I have to do that as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, he he's seemed to be saying pretty clearly that, uh, you know, that this is not necessarily the best roster ever built uh, as far as defense is concerned. And, and you know, to Monty McNair, I, I posed the question to him, too, for a, a story that I'm going to write for the magazine. Um, I told him, frankly, in my opinion, it doesn't matter, but that I was a little bit surprised that the Kings didn't make a move for a backup big uh-huh. because Mike Brown has talked a lot this year about cycling through his bigs to kind of find somebody to find something consistent. And, uh, you know, Monty McNair never confirmed, denied that they looked for that. <laughs> he was like, we we, we uh, canvassed and tried to see what was out there, but ultimately we don't want to give up a core piece of, of this group. Everybody's relatively young, with the exception of really Harrison Barnes, uh, who I think is 30. Um, and so he's like, we didn't want to give up a core piece to get something that might help somewhere else. Uh, we we looked. We didn't see anything worth it. We move on. Uh, so it'll be interesting. It, it, you know, I felt like I heard a little bit of dissonance there between uh, and not intentionally, obviously, but just, you know, Mike Brown was very clear in saying, like, I didn't come here to make the playoffs. Monty McNair, on the other hand, when I spoke to him, was like, we want to make the playoffs. Like that's our, he didn't say end all be all, but he was like that. You talk to people here, that's what they care about. Mm -hmm. And granted it has been 16 years. So I understand that. But my question for everybody on, on that front was just kind of like, what happens when you make the playoffs, which it seems like now, you know, they've won all their games since the break. They're very likely to do. They probably need six or seven more games to put themselves in that spot. Uh, Seems very likely that they're going to do that. Is it as easy as just flipping a switch when you said playoffs, 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 then you get there and are you just happy to be there or are you competing to win a round or two? Mm-hmm. When you're a third seed, you're normally like expected to win that first round, uh, not just happy to be there. So it's it's been a really interesting year. I know it's been a really fun year for their fans. I'm happy for them. I've talked to a lot of them. Um, I talked to a lot of fans that are a little bit frustrated that they had season tickets or convinced their wife or whatever to get season tickets last year and now one year later they're you know, they, they got rid of the tickets because they weren't enjoying the games last year and they couldn't resell them because they suck so much. And now they're, you know, 35 and 25 best offense in NBA history, probably. And, you know, statistically, and um, it, it's it's a different vibe. But I know that fans are really proud of that team. And it's it's been really fun to watch them, even if they've got flaws. Yeah, it's been fantastic. They've been really fun. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. 
if you dare. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Sorry, Chris. I didn't mean to be rude. I was... People obviously on the podcast cannot see us but i was looking at my phone because i saw i saw like some report that like ben simmons is going to get shut down but then i was like is this legit and i couldn't find anything and i was like if that's true we should talk about it but tbd yeah but i wanted it's funny you brought up monty mcnair i just wanted to tell a quick story because i realized now i didn't get to talk about this utah trip i took on the podcast Mm -hmm. um i i love that you kind of brought it up while you were there hey are you guys going to trade for a backup big you asked mike brown about his defensive bigs too when i was in utah i spoke to justin zanuck for my lowry marketing story similar was, problems there <laughs> yeah and it was funny but because while i was there we found out first we found out that kyrie irving had requested a trade and then obviously the kyrie trade happened and i was mm-hmm. writing a story for sports illustrated about kyrie irving fake trades and I asked Justin Zanuck if I could run something by him. So I, like, <laughs> I, I got an NBA GM wow. judge my fake trades. Um, I also was like, told him how I was like, you know, start of the season. I was like, how are the Heat going to get Lowry marketing? Um, uh, he was a good sport about it. And it sounds like uh, Monty McNair is at least willing to hear out uh, your questions, which I appreciate. He shout out to yeah, him because yeah. I the the PR director over there who's wonderful Shannon Malone I think this is her first year in the job yeah. um really really helpful um I had a really great time in Sacramento but also you know when she set me up with Monty she was like okay can get you 15 minutes with him this was the day after the trade deadline I sat with them for those 12 to 15 minutes and then saw Shannon kind of coming back into the room to basically be like time's up and Monty kind of politely waved her away and shannon's jaw like dropped she's like i've never seen monty do that so it turned into a half hour conversation and um you know i really really appreciated that um i I think it's you know not trying to make light of anything an organization that is very happy to have more attention for the right reasons and uh it seems like a team that really has found something you know it would help if their defense was better it would probably seem more sustainable but uh very similar to utah a, a team that really has a a lot of offense and uh you know the defense at some point will probably be figured out as well but uh it's fun to see teams that you don't expect to do well in a given year do really well absolutely particularly for fan bases that um uh, you know have a lot of reasons to kind of feel downtrodden um i didn't i don't mean to bring him up this many times but i'm being actually serious right now a lot of teams could have used cody zeller <laughs> who was like if you look at it's cleaning the glass page, the guy's been like a majority plus player. His teams have generally been better with him on the floor for the vast majority of his career. And it's like, I'm just like Philly could have used him. The Kings could have used him. Like the Lakers could have used him once upon a time. The the Nuggets, Mm -hmm. like a lot of teams just signed bad backup bigs. And I know he was hurt, but, and you know, he serves a purpose in Miami. He also was one of those teams that desperately needed a backup big, but it's just that's become a weirdly like swing position in the NBA. Oh, for sure. 
like, can your backup center survive 12 minutes? Like the Sixers cannot. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, while we're on the subject too, I feel like we've, you know, not we, you and me necessarily, but I just think generally speaking, um, there's so much talk about Russell Westbrook with the Clippers and, you know, um, was, was he better than Reggie Jackson? Um, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and, and whether the Clippers needed, uh, Russell Westbrook, Mason Plumlee to me was like the big pickup for the Clippers. I thought, yes. even though they've got Zubach, like, I think that there are guys that because they played with pretty bad teams, um, People just kind of are asleep, asleep to how good they are, how effective Plumlee's they can been be. Fantastic this year. Yes. So you know, I I, I think that bigs, um, I I think that fan perception there's a big drop off between like the very best bigs in the league, and you know, there's how many eight or nine that are like really really big names and impactful mm-hmm. every night in the way that those fans think about, and then there's like a next group of guys that if you have two of them on the same team, uh, which all of a sudden with the Clippers, we might be looking at that. Yeah. Um, it's a, you know, it's, it's a big deal, particularly yeah. in a playoff series. It's a big deal. I think about Sacramento for that reason, it being a big yes. deal because I feel like every other game I watch with Sabonis, one, he has the most offensive yeah. fouls in the league. Well, yeah. I was going to say once he gets in foul trouble. Yeah. A, a bum thumb that he's been playing with all year through all year and he gets in foul trouble quite frequently we were i was looking at the, that 176 175 game he wasn't in there you know it's also two overtimes so it's kind of more understandable to foul out but um it's you know the the kings have a little bit of a porous uh set of wing defenders and so sabonis is kind of fending for himself there a lot so it's 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 a big game changer and i think more of a game it, i know it's a wing dominated league but i think because of that if you have a couple of bigs on your team uh, that are really, really solid and formidable, and you've got wings. It, it's part of why the Clippers are really interesting, and part of why I think a lot of people are wondering: Did the Clippers need Westbrook? Because you don't know how he's going to contribute. But even him, I think his situation is better with the Clippers than it was with the Lakers. Yeah. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. The the Kings. It, it's interesting because it's not like Rashawn Holmes was ever like a defensive stopper but he was like a league pass darling a couple years ago sure and now, and, and now they've they're kind of like lost their way behind Simonis. big wise it's such a fascinating position in the nba because while it's a wing dominated league it's also a pick and roll dominated league mm-hmm. and if your backup center can't survive in that and even if the other team has like you know uh, one of these sixth man gunner types at least that person has a ball in their hands that can score. Like you can survive that person's poor defense. Like a bad big can sometimes really, really sink you like quickly. Yeah. I mean, you see some of these things like the nuggets, you know, before they signed Thomas Bryant, like they've been searching and it's tough. Cause it's like, how many, how many you're not going to invest in a player who's going to play 12 to 14 minutes a night behind Jokic. But I mean, he's the, he, they're plus 27 nearly net rating with him on the floor like he's in the 100th percentile in terms of on off rating um like they they go you know it's i don't even know how to the right analogy for it, but they they crater completely when he's off the floor and defensively as well i know people get at him defensively but even defensively they're so much worse and the plumley types are they they really make a difference um 
I know that he's on a team that just gave up 176 points and then he got cooked by Jokic a bit the other night, but it's just funny how that position works. And I I was glad you brought it up in that Q and a, because having the right defensive big can, it can make a difference in like a six minute stretch in a playoff, which you're going to have exactly, which you're going to have. I I understand the argument that um, Sabonis it's going to play 40 minutes in a playoff game. That leaves eight minutes. Yeah. That but, you don't and also, have him what if he there. gets into foul trouble? What if he gets into foul trouble? Right. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I also understand that the league went through a stretch where uh small ball was, yeah. was obviously a big emphasis. So I, it, it ebbs and it flows, but also like one of the best ways to think about this is like Montres Harrell winning six man. And yeah. then within a year, a year and a half, like Montres Harrell being out of rotations for the most right. part, it, I mean, the it, it club, changes the, the, faster. The, the Clippers maybe win that series if they had Plumley that year instead of Montrez. Like that's, um, yeah. L- let me wrap up real quick because I meant to get to this a lot earlier. I don't know that we've to spend too much time on it anyway, but I saw that you linked to a Hollinger column in the newsletter about it. But Quinn Snyder getting hired by the Hawks, mm-hmm. this surprised me a little bit. I'm gonna be honest. I just thought it's like a usually a high profile name. And I think, you know, Quinn Snyder coached a one seed in the West. Like, he's someone who's going to have his pick of jobs in the summer. I'm surprised he took a job midseason. I mean, that sounds like they're paying him quite a bit of money. The Hawks have been a little bit better lately. Um, I think it was Steve Jones who hosts the Dunker Spot pod Mm -hmm. with uh, Nikaius Duncan. (laughs) He tweeted, like, the Hawks after they fire their coach. And it's the meme of the guy in the video game chair, like leaning forward. And they, it's like, they, <laughs> they actually start trying. I think it was him. I hope it was him. That's I don't want funny. To, someone made a funny joke about that. that. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah. What do you make a Snyder to the Hawks? I mean, the Hawks have looked a little bit better lately. They're still kind of hovering around 500, which is pretty disappointing considering the move they made this summer. Does this move the needle for you? I don't know. I don't really think so. And it's no disrespect to Quinn Snyder, who I think is one of the best coaches in the league. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, the surprising element of it, like you said, is that someone of his caliber, his success normally has this pick of jobs. I'm sure he still would have. Uh, sounds like they paid him quite a bit and gave him mm-hmm. quite a bit of maybe security. Um was there an upside to doing it this way where, you know, you give him a sense of ability to kind of judge the roster, figure out what should be done at the end of this year. Maybe you get guys a little bit more time to settle into what he wants to do. Sure. Is it the reason I don't really believe in this working out beyond them, maybe squeaking into the play in or the playoffs or whatever you want to call it is uh, his offense is pretty particular. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it it builds very heavily on the idea of having uh, cuts and, you know, screens and optionality from like every position and having, you know, I think the way Hollinger put it in the way that everybody's talked about is like advantage basketball where there's counters to the other team's counters that you've got baked into what you do. Um, and all the while I'm sitting there thinking about Trey Young and how he generally stands still yeah. uh, on offense. So like, I don't think that that's going to be an overnight fix or something that you know i also thought it was interesting by the way that um that they implemented this and that they did they figured this out like after or like as the all-star break was ending as opposed to maybe you make the move a week or two before mm-hmm. the all-star break and then like give you know maybe you ask the guys that aren't all-stars 
Matter of fact, they didn't have any all-stars on this roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you just ask guys to stay behind an extra day or come back a day early. Maybe it's not enough time really to, to put in, install anything. But I, I just think that it's aside from effort, which maybe that's all they need. But aside from that, I'm not really sure what all you can really install and expect from a team with a, a kind of one of those like mad scientist type coaches that has a lot of looks that he's going to present on offense. Uh, maybe there is something to be said again for the idea of, you know, there's the new teacher running the mm-hmm. class. And so you're going to pay more attention, but some of this stuff doesn't even feel like it's related to that to me. Um, I know John Collins is talking about accountability. John Collins's hand is messed up. Yeah. So like he, him not being able to shoot, isn't like a Quinn Snyder, Nate McMillan issue. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's more of like a, is he healthy issue? So, um, I, you know, I'm curious. I'm, I'm very curious to see how it goes. I thought Hollinger, well, I don't always agree with. I think he's very smart, but I don't always agree with the Miners comms. I thought his comm was really smart, though, pointing out that, you know, the issue that they tried to solve that you've written about before as it relates to Kevin Herter, they've just got too much money on the books and too many guys to pay, which they've been trying to get out of that hole. Obviously, trading Cam Reddish last year, trading uh, Kevin Herter during the offseason all this other stuff that you're trying to just unload money and probably we're trying, you know, not probably we're trying to do the same thing with John Collins, just couldn't find a deal that made sense. Even if they do that, they've still got more stuff now to figure out whether it's, you know, they've got DeJounte Murray on the books. Now mm-hmm. they've got Trey young there. They've got, Okongu, are they going to extend? Yeah. A lot of extension eligible guys that are good players that, uh, mm-hmm. so they, they, they've got maybe more decent, good players on their roster, anybody. Yeah. And that's after having unloaded a couple of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, their owner was always up front saying like, we're not going to be able to pay all these guys. And they've started unloading some of that, right. but it's still, that problem is still exists. And, uh, so again, maybe that's the benefit of having Quinn Snyder on your staff now, as opposed to waiting. If you know, it's the guy you want. Also, you've got less competition for his services. If you make the hire now, right. as opposed to during the off season when Quinn Snyder would probably have better jobs available. Uh, yeah. John pointed out, you know, if the Clippers falter here, you were asking a question right. on the podcast before the season, like, are the Clippers a failure if you don't, you know, yeah. if you don't realistically make a finals with Paul George and and, uh, and Kawhi, yeah. there's that, there's, you know, there's any other number of, of gigs that I think become Philly, interesting. If Philly flames out. Yeah. It, it, so, it'll be, it, it's interesting, you know, I, and I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, it could go either way. That's like the most annoying analysis. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back and be like, I'm fascinated to see where the Hawks go. And I, cause I think some people will be like, Oh, like Trey young, can he be, you know, Donovan Mitchell was the best player on a number one offense. And you're like, can Capella and young be like a Mitchell and Gobert kind of pick and roll tandem. And can you put shooters on? But as you mentioned, the jazz offense, although it was three point heavy was more inventive than just kind of the high pick and roll that Trey young seems to like to run. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's just weird, and I like Nate McMillan a lot. Um, I do think Snyder's a little bit more inventive of a coach. Oh, sure. And it's like it sounds mean, and I, I Nate McMillan, I want to clarify, has forgotten more about basketball than I'll never know. It just felt very reactionary, the extension they gave him after an Eastern Conference Finals run that I don't know that you and I ever felt very strongly about like, this is an arrival of the Atlanta Hawks as much as it was a very weird season. And, you know, there's now friction again with Trey and Nate and 
I'm interested to see if Quinn is the guy who can get them to buy in. And that, that doesn't even, like you mentioned, all this salary stuff, DeJounte next year is the last year of his deal. You know, is obviously making big money. It's, uh, it's just a interesting situation. And it's very, um, it's one of those that, that encompasses all factors of the NBA. There's the relationship side, there's the salary side, and there's actually what's happening on the court. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Chris, I want to end today's show, bring back a fan favorite segment. I don't think I ever did one of these with you, um, but it's time for the Love Island Minute. Um, we have not had a Love Island Minute on the podcast in many, many months. Um, I was texting you and Mike about it the other night, even though you were not responding as usual. Uh-oh. I was about to say, do we texted about this? That's why I don't remember. <laughs> um, uh, listen, it's the season's been hot and heavy down in South Africa. Shout out to Maya Jamma filling in admirably uh, for Laura Whitmore on this season, taking over the role as host. She's done a fantastic job. Um, we've had plenty of good drama. And, you know, it's my favorite time of the year in the villa. The girls are in Casa more. Um, we got new boys, new girls uh, joining the show. You have you this. I could be speaking a different language, basically, for you right I now. I think you are. When yeah. I say, when I say um, and I just got to say, Tanya's teetering, man. Tanya and Shaq, they're on the edge. <laughs> I think Tanya's head's going to turn. Um, I think Will's head is already turned. I know the season's ahead in the UK, so maybe some people already know the answer to these these questions. But can I ex- can I very quickly try to explain the the Casa More sure. Island twist to you? Sure. So you know, basically the show starts. It's like six boys, six women in a villa. The, they form couples, and then throughout the following weeks, people come in and out of the house. And the goal of the that game is to stay in a couple until the end and you will some win some money but really what you're watching for is the drama the love triangles that form etc someone's in a couple but then a new person enters the house and tries to break them up um so you know the goal of the game is to stay in a couple and people are constantly like oh are you are you open to getting to know someone or are you happy in your couple and then midway through the season what they do is they split the boys and the girls up um, one group is in a separate villa called Casa Amor, and they bring in so like the girls will go to a separate house and they'll bring in six new boys, and then the boys will be at the original house and they'll bring in six new girls. And it's just it's chaos. It's like a mid-season twist. It's like they've all been coupled up for weeks now, but now they're bringing in practically an entire new cast. So Shaq and Tanya have already told each other, "I love you," but it looks like Tanya is gonna be. Um, in a new couple headed out from Casa Moore. Did this make any sense to you whatsoever? Bro, you said <laughs> different language and I, I've done Rosetta Stone before. My, my fiance is Dominican and she's got some family that basically speaks mostly Spanish and so I was like I took French in high school. I took French in college. Mm-hmm. Let me try to take Spanish and understand Spanish. The Spanish on Rosetta Stone from the, like literally the first installment made more sense than what you just said to me. Uh, wow. Like I, I was trying. I'm also like sitting here Googling like reality love shows because I've watched one that Nick and what is his wife's name? Vanessa Lachey. I've yeah, watched, Nick Lachey. I, okay. I, I, I've watched one that they hosted, but it wasn't what you're describing. So I don't I don't remember which one I watched was, but it wasn't that. And wow, I'm lost. 
I would pay so much money to get you um, in on Love Island just to see your reaction to some of the going on in the house. But I'll, you I'll gotta get that. me a you gotta pay money to get me a clone so that yeah. I could watch NBA and write all these stories they want us to do. <laughs> yeah, on top of all that, because I, I, your man does not have the capacity. I haven't, struggling. I haven't even told you how many episodes are in a love island season i think if i told you you'd faint i think <laughs> <laughs> i think you'd become physically ill um Chris, <laughs> that is going to do it for today's episode of open floor uh thank you a true shout out to all our listeners thank you so much uh for hanging out with us please keep your emails coming open floor mail at gmail.com until the next love island minute please continue to enjoy the nba season i'm katia adler host of the global story over the last 25 years i've covered conflicts in the middle east political and economic crises in europe drug cartels in mexico now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.